Welcome to Endless 08, a time loop anime podcast. I'm Duffo. I'm BJ. Uh, it is 2008. We are watching and discussing anime from 2008, the year that it is. Isn't it a wonderful year? BJ, have you ever sent someone an email about anime? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be honest, I don't know that I've ever actually sent someone an email at this point. <laughs> <laughs> You've Maybe? made it this far into your professional career. In the year 2008, when I am, what, 12 years old about that? <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think I might have sent one or two emails in my life, but I don't think they had a subject or a to or a from. I think it was just like sending a PowerPoint to a teacher or something. I, I must have been emailing Neopets. Oh. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to think what I would email them about, maybe appealing uh, a forum ban or <laughs> <laughs> doing to get banned from the neopets forum <sighs> getting incredibly heated I, I i guess i guess neopets is definitely definitely something to to, to debate mm-hmm. uh let me ask you a different question would you like to receive an email about anime good god no <laughs> yes. well uh too bad i have set up a mailbag for us <sighs> for if people do listen to the show and they they do want to get in touch um why? Uh, well, <laughs> never mind. Never mind. The people listening to this watch anime, and anime people are opinionated. I know that because I'm an anime watcher, and I'm really opinionated. Obviously, so I guess. Yeah, all, all of your corrections. Please open that with dear BJ. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, so I was looking at Gmail, which you would know as the new email service. Of course, yeah, it's been around for like what a year, maybe. Yeah, Two it's years? been public for about a year. Um, I. I looked at it and I went, nah, this, I don't want to just make an address and just have to bin it when people move on to the next thing. Yeah. So I went for a classic. Uh, if you email us at endless08 at yahoo.com. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, we will read it. You know, fun story. Not I necessarily actually... on air, but we will read it. Fun story. I actually, um, when I lived in Japan, I did have to make a Yahoo mail account. Yeah. Yeah, because um, my Gmail account wouldn't connect to any stuff. Like, it just wasn't set up to work on the school computers or anything like that. So, yeah, I just had to make a Yahoo email address. It was awful. (laughs) What have you done to us? (laughs) Well, we are in the Yahoo ecosystem, the uh, the Yahoo metaverse. We will be the first one again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, kill me now. (laughs) Um. I know that it is the year 2008. Of course. uh, But there are still some things I wanted to do to immerse us in the year 2008. Okay, okay. Uh, I've pulled up an article here from Maximum PC Magazine. Okay, Bastion of Reporting. Yes, uh, 10 things that are wildly overhyped in 2008. Okay. Sorry, was this one written in 2008? Yes, yeah, yeah, Okay, okay. The year that it is. It's it's a new article. Of course, of course. Uh, number 10, multiple GPU video cards. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay. I read it. Number nine, the Nintendo Wii. Yeah. So okay. much potential squandered in so many terrible games and so few high points. <laughs> hey, I mean, Wii, Wii Sports is a classic that's been out for a year and a half or whatever. Like, it's a classic now. Uh, number eight, Will Wright's Spore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> yep. Number seven, 64-bit computing. I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What? The the their explanation they've written here, PCs can address more than four gig of memory now. Big whoop. We want more native sixty-four bit apps. Oh, okay, okay. 
I thought they were saying like we need less 64-bit, and I was like, no, 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 that's not how that works. <laughs> uh, Battlestar Galactica, Ooh. downloading movies from the internet, mm. Facebook. Oh wow! Getting in. <laughs> they might not, have been onto something here. <laughs> yeah, not not necessarily early, but like definitely earlier than I would have thought. Yeah. Yeah, and the the top three here: high definition. <laughs> no. Oh, no. They, they add here, by the time HD is finally mainstream, it'll be time to upgrade to UHD ultra high def. To be fair, that was correct. <laughs> that was correct. Um, wow. Yeah. Number two, the Asus Triple E PC. I've no uh, idea. No, I, I think I know what that is. It was like a really, like one of those really small netbook kind of things. Yeah. My, my understanding is like an early precursor to like, I guess the Chromebook. Yeah. Yeah. Would yep. be the equivalent now. Yeah. Uh, number one being the iPhone. <laughs> oh, oh, a device that has just launched this year in two thousand and eight. Yeah, wow that that prediction aged like what's the opposite of fine wine? Um, <laughs> I think milk is the yeah, go-to one that people is. say here. Oh boy, I mean, I mean, we don't know this. This is two thousand and eight. Um, so mm. yeah, he's totally right. It's the only thing I hear about. It's really annoying. Uh, now that I've got you immersed and deep, yep, we are going to talk about the anime we have just watched, Shigafumi. Yeah. Um, also called Shigafumi Letters from the Departed and Shigafumi Stories of Last Letter. The multiple titles is definitely confusing. <laughs> I found this referred to as these three different things around the place. Yep. Remember, I was looking at the OST tracks for this and they all call it Stories of Last Letter. Okay. Despite that not being what it is uploaded as anywhere else. Yeah, because I think if I remember reading right, the it, there was like, there was an anime and there was a short novel, light novel. Um, yeah, we we will we will get into the origins of this because but, it is not linear. <laughs> yeah, but my my point with that is that I think they were all called different things, mm. but there was no real consistency as far as this is as it seems on mm. what everything was actually called. All of them had Shigofumi, but. You know, some of them also had this sometimes. Some of them also had this sometimes. Um, as a Japanese speaker, do you want to tell us what Shigafumi means? Yeah, so um, we can break it up into the component kanji that it would be written in, like could be written in, I should say. Um, she means death. Uh, go means after. Um, and then fumi is just another word for writings. So it's basically the writings of the afterlife. Yeah. And this is a common phrase that Japanese people use. No. <laughs> no. Definitely not. <laughs> I did have to, like, I didn't have to look it up, but I did have to sit there for a moment and process it. And I did have to look up Fumi because I've never heard someone say it. But uh. I mean, like, I've seen the kanji used before, but I've never really seen it used on its own with that pronunciation. Having said that, I mean, I was talking, like, I lived a daily life. I didn't exactly get involved in reading or watching a lot of TV or movies. It was mostly like, you know, people don't talk about, oh, yes, the writings of such and such in daily conversation when I'm, you know, trying to teach English. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We'll we'll go into what the show is about in a moment, but I wanted to run through some production details first. Cool. Uh, This is a JC staff anime. Okay. Uh, how, how familiar would you say you are with JC stuff? It's an it's a name that I have heard before. I'm sure I've seen it in the intro and outro of anime before. But if I'm honest, I know nothing. Yeah, it, it is interesting because you remember last time we were talking about the uh, the the content mill going from light novels uh, to adaptations, right? Uh, JC stuff um, at this period of time in 2008 are people. They are a studio that is known for this. Ah. They they go hard on this. Okay. 
and they have a mixed reputation because of it. Right. Yeah, okay. There's, uh, you know, going through, like, a lot of people at the time reading their opinions on JC stuff, they're like, they make a lot of good stuff, but they make a lot of really bad stuff. And it is because they just pick up a lot of source material for as cheap as possible. Yeah. And punch it through the system. And, and I imagine that that then makes it hard to sift through it all and find the gold amongst the shit. Yeah, they are a throw shit at the wall studio. Nice. We, we, well, look, they they produced some good things in 2008. Um, Toradora. Hey, we'll I've come heard around that one. On. A certain magical index. Oh, yes. Yeah, I, I've, I've actually got some stories about that, but yeah. <laughs> and uh, actually, it's the producer of both of those shows who is attached to Shigafumi as hey, well. Okay. So, that w- this is all in 2008. So, huge year for this guy. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Firing on all cylinders. Yes. Uh, so, if you, I had to message you about this because if you go to the Wikipedia page for Shigafumi, it will tell you it was created by Tomoro Yuzawa. So, if you have a look at the Japanese Wikipedia page, you can actually see um, a, a bit more detail about the, you know, who wrote it and things like that. And this person, um, I can't actually remember what the actual pronunciation of it was. You've got it there, I'm sure. Um, but the name is not actually a person it is a collective of people who got together to come up with the idea and and you know kind of make it flesh it out into more of a thing um but the issue you run into is that they didn't just use hiragana for it which is the sound system um alphabet they did use kanji for it and that means that because it's not a real name it is open to a variety of potential pronunciations. Oh, yeah. Like, you, you opened the, the credits webpage that they had for the anime at the time, and they referred to them as uh, Yuzawa Euro. Yes. Which is different again. Yes. And so, the issue for that is you'll hear that the door at the end of that is, like, obviously the same. That one didn't change. But the tomo and the yu is basically that kanji means friend. And that could be pronounced either as tomo, as in tomodachi, which is friend, mm. or Yugata, which is like a close close person, a close friend. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, that's where that discrepancy com- comes in. And for whatever reason, the English site decided to say Tomoro. Yeah. So, uh, when I was trying to look up this creator, I was like, who is this ghost person who I cannot find any other information about? Uh, the, it is not a person. It is four people. It's four people. Um, I've I've got their names here. So um, they they're from a mix of the two production studios that were attached to this. One of them is Bandai Visual, okay, and the other is Genko. Um, from the the Bandai side, you have um, Jun Yukawa, uh, who produced Code Geass. Ah, um, you've got uh, Ichiro Okochi, who was the scriptwriter for Code Geass. Right. Okay. And then uh, for people that work more with JC staff, you have um, Yuji Matsukura. Right. The producer we were talking about, who uh, also did Toradora. Right. So, Magical Index. Uh, the fourth person attached to this, Nobuhiro Osawa, is s- still not a hugely known name at this time. Is someone who is still incredibly paying his dues and uh, putting out uh, C-grade uh, the harem stuff. And <laughs> right. Okay. So, my, my spirit no. animal, effectively. <laughs> Uh, a few years later, he does go on to be the producer of Sword Art Online. <laughs> I was I was sitting here thinking, you're building up to something. You're going to throw something at me. And my first thought was to say, you're going to tell me this guy did Sword Art Online, didn't you? But yep. I didn't say it. So I was like, no, nah, I'm going to make a fool of myself. God damn it. So these these four guys who are all in the production side of anime, they, they get together and they, they come up with Shigafumi as an original idea. Cool. This, this show about people who are receiving letters from... People 
in their lives who have died. Yeah. Whether that's family members or close friends or... I'd like, I'd, And they can go to pretty much anyone. At one point, they have to deliver a letter to a cat. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah, pretty cool stuff. It's a good episode. Uh, the other part of this that actually really threw me off, um, you were talking about the light novels. Yeah. Shash's uh, first. Uh, because they come up with this idea and they go, we are going to make this as an anime, they start working on it. It's obviously a very slow process. Yep. So, they do the light novel as a side project. Right. And because that's quicker to do, that gets published first. Right. But then they obviously have edits they want to make. They go, oh, that doesn't work as well as this would do. So, Yeah. So, you've got all these confusing interviews where they're talking about Shigafumi, the anime being the original work. <laughs> oh, oh, but then the release date of the novels is like a year <laughs> earlier. Ooh. So, it, it took me a while, but it all makes sense to me now. It's It's come together. Awesome. Yeah, do you want to give me a summary of Shigafumi? Yeah, okay. So, as we know, the, it's based around the concept of the idea that um, people who have recently died are able to send letters. I don't know if they can send multiple or if it's just one. Just but the one, yes. They can send a letter to somebody from their life um, after they've died, and that often is you know, providing closure to someone or, in a couple of cases, saying some quite awful things. <laughs> um, and the story is centered around character whose name i can't remember uh fumika fumika um so Bad fumika i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> you're okay um the teacher in me is just like <laughs> really coming out um so fumika is our basically our mailman and she has a staff as her partner a talking staff called tanaka kanaka kanaka there we go i'm i'm awful with names everybody sorry <laughs> uh and uh they basically spend their days going around delivering these death letters to people um and otherwise the story is especially at the beginning it's quite i was about to say monster of the week but that's not the word there's Ep- a episodic episodic there we go i couldn't think of the word um yeah it's very interesting mm. Yeah, uh, you do start out having these very enclosed stories where uh, someone will have this tragedy in their life, and as they're all trying to figure it out, this 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 male woman girl oh, shows up with her magic talking staff. Forgot to note, this girl is like 12, 13? 15. 15? Okay, again, again, these moe girls just... <sighs> anyway. Shows up and says, here is a letter from a dead person. Do with this what you will. <laughs> And she's she's very insistent on her her personal philosophy that the the shigafumi aren't good or bad. Yes, they just are what they are. Yep. And significantly, um, you can't lie in a shigafumi. It is always the truth from that person. Right. I actually never picked up on that. Okay. Mm. So it uh, yeah it goes like that for the first couple of episodes, and then there is a broader overarching structure that comes in as one of the characters who is in one of these episodes. Turns around and goes, oh, I know you. You're a girl who used to be in my class who shot her dad. <laughs> yeah. Very interesting. I, to be fair, I, to be honest, I at that moment, I was a bit confused because the Fumika that we know um, that is delivering the letters has like really long uh, white hair. Actually, it doesn't look long stuff in a bun, but like she's got white hair yeah. and kind of faded yellow eyes, I guess, to signify that she's, you know, dead. That's another thing we need to mention. Um, all of the male male people are dead. You're not meant to be alive if you're one yeah. of the male people. It's it's a job you get after life, but uh, she mentions she is a special case. She's a very special and case. And refuses to elaborate. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I really appreciate that that persistence. Mm. Um, 
And so when, when he noticed her and went, oh my God, it's her. And then we cut to the kind of still alive version of her lying in the hospital bed. And I thought, who's this girl? Because I just didn't <laughs> see enough of a resemblance. Because if I'm honest, the face is just a kind of pretty generic moe anime girl. And I really, I really, I'm not a very smart person. I really need that distinction of hair color to help me def- define who is who. And just <laughs> yep. the swap between the, the, the male man version is what it has white hair and the alive in a coma one has black hair. Just really threw me for a loop throughout pretty much the whole thing, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, you've got these two characters that get introduced. Um, Kaname. Right. Who's the, the high schooler who uh, used to be classmates with her. Yep. Um, used to have a crush on her. <laughs> Got rejected. Got rejected. <laughs> um, and he goes around getting back in touch with people who also knew her in life. Yeah. And the, the person he gets in touch with is her former uh, best friend, Natsuka. And so you have this side story where these two high schoolers are going around trying to figure out the mystery as to why Fumika is in a coma, but also a a ghost male woman. Yes. We also have the fantastic backstory of Fumika that uh, uh, kind of she was a bit of a social pariah, I guess, for a while because she shot her dad. (laughs) Fantastic. Uh, That's that's not. Well, she's a pariah for different reasons at the start. What do you mean? I, I, I'm, I'm lost. What do you mean? As uh, okay, we we will we will get into it. Okay, okay. So the the other character that is kind of involved in this side story, which becomes the main story, is uh, Kiramaki Mikawa. Yes, her father, who is <sighs> a a rich poet, which is a thing that exists in this world. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if we'd call him a poet, but a novelist, because it does seem that he's got, like, chunky novels, unless is, is that a collection of poetry? It's a collection of poetry. It, okay, I didn't, I didn't pick it up. Or it's like a, a lyric novel, I guess you would call right, it. Right, okay. Very interesting man. Yes, and he has kept his daughter in complete social isolation until she enters middle school. Yes. One thing I want to note before we move on, um, Kirameki means glitter and his wife who leaves him after having the child very interesting woman we see for about 30 seconds uh, her name was kirei which means beautiful or pretty oh very nice yeah. and i assume glitter is a very normal name for a japanese name absolutely not <laughs> i did send you a link the other day to um the japanese it's it's a relatively recent phenomenon but it has actually been going on for a number of years of uh kira kira name which is basically like sparkly names mm. and it's when a parent will give their child a name that is not pronounced the typical way the word would be pronounced an example would be if a ca- if a person was if a child was given the name of tenchi not tenshi mm. which means angel but it's pronounced as angel, like the English word angel. Or they would have the kanji in their name that would be lightning and small mammal or mouse or something like that. And it would be pronounced Pikachu. Oh, okay. This It is a problem that the Japanese government has decided to legislate. To crack you down. Are, yeah, <laughs> you are no longer allowed to give a kirakira nemu that is pronounced differently to how it would be typically pronounced with those katakana. However, there was then a repeal or something, and you can technically still have tenshi that then sounds like ainjeru. Very confusing. Huh. 
Yeah. Uh, so, coming into this show, we'll go all the way back to the first episode here. Yes. Uh, tell me your impressions uh, coming away from this one. I'll open my notebook here. Um, uh, they had a very efficient explanation of the setup. Like, it was, like, all of ten lines that was basically just outright explaining, this is what a Shigofumi is. And it was, yeah. like, oh, nice, yeah, awesome, great, great start. Um, and, yeah, there's a boy and a girl. The boy is making rockets at the top of an abandoned building. Yes. Very strange setup, but okay, I'm here for it. Um, and the girl is just kind of hanging out. And uh, effectively, I can't remember exactly what happens, but eventually... Um, Fumika shows up and tries to give the boy um, a Shigofumi from the girl's recently deceased father. Yes, that is addressed to, this needs to go to my daughter's lover. (laughs) Yes, and basically they're not lovers, they're just friends, but he does like her. So she is convinced, Fumika is convinced, he needs to convince Fumika that he does love her and he needs to basically reveal reveal his feelings for her and then she will give him the letter things transpire turns out that the girl killed her father because he was <sighs> using her for child pornography and yes yeah, so we have picked two r18 series in a row oh, this one was r18 right that are okay. both getting into heavy shit right off the gate <laughs> i will say that this one does it a lot better than the other one. Oh god yes um and so when the boy finds this out uh he then goes to confront her and really try and find out but does not believe the Shigofumi. And for that, she stabs him. Quite a shocking moment. Quite fun. Yeah. Uh, the the first two episodes of the show are dedicated to this this plot line. Because after the boy gets murdered, like, uh, Fumika keeps following this girl around. And and uh, because she has the, the Shigofumi from the guy that she just killed. And the girl is rejecting this, going, I don't want this fucking letter. Get out of here. But Fumika will not not deliver a letter. <laughs> <sighs> this girl is determined. I love it. <laughs> it's, so, it's it's interesting because, like, the first two episodes of this show are kind of setting this show up to be, A, very bleak and dark. Yep. And B, about murderers. Yes. Yes. And I, w- I wouldn't say that that's the tone that the show consistently then goes for for the rest of it. No, I feel like it it sets us up with that, but then it kind of really just pivots hardcore into social commentary, mm. particularly about the social life and rules in Japan and just how the media is awful and how s- bullying is an awful thing and how institutions really just suck at being institutions yeah there's a lot of stuff here where it is largely about people grappling with social media and ever-present technology being a thing in everyone's life and how that creates more vectors for cyberbullying and uh, tormenting people both social media and the media Mm. the the number of times we it's not highlighted a lot but the number of times that we see throngs of um, daytime TV and news broadcasting groups just outside of a house or standing outside of a school where a tragedy has happened and going, hey, hey, can we talk to you? Do you want to tell me tell us about this student? Oh, my God, wasn't this amazing? Can you tell us something? It's just quite awful. Yes. So um, I've got a article here from Anime News Network that I wanted to run by you. Go for it. Um, Shigafumi, number three, altered after recent events in Japan. Oh, this is something, because I was watching this show and I was thinking of 
concurrent things like School Days came out in 2007. Ah, okay. Um, Higurashi was another one that had like a very dark tone. And uh, those were two shows that got pulled back. Right. Because of certain things that happened to coincide with, I think, uh, School Days, there was there was going to be a, a big like axe murder in that until there was an actual axe murderer right. in Japan. Uh, the official Japanese website for the Shigafumi television anime series announced that the third episode, which was broadcast on January 6th, was, quote, altered in light of recent circumstances in the society at large. Yeah. Um, skip, skip. Um, the third episode, Tomodachi, focuses on three friends after one of them commits suicide. Uh, the dead boy's father violently enters the friend's classroom to demand answers in his son's death. Yeah. The website notice includes an apology for the lack of advance notice on the change and asks on behalf of the staff and cast for the audience's understanding on the matter. Okay. So, the context here is that there was a, a shotgun rampage. Ah, Right. At the time that this is coming out. Yes. And this this is what happens in this episode. This uh it's it follows this group of three friends. Um so yeah, the 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 episode follows three friends. One of them is Kaname, is that his name? Yes. Yes. This is how we bring him into the story. This is how we bring Kaname in. Um and effectively one of them kind of daydreams about warnings just for some rough stuff again. Uh one of them daydreams about jumping off the train tracks. Uh, he, get, he gets real into suicidal ideation. Yeah. Um, and he's like, is this normal? Are you guys all thinking about this? And what are, Kaname goes, no, what are you talking about? But the other one, whose name I can't remember, um, also says no, but then kind of, kind of indicates that he has thought about suicide before and then ends up committing suicide pretty much the next day. I have to ask... Is this a good episode, a, a good and effective representation of suicide? Because effectively by the end of the episode, it feels like the, fr- the friend who initially brought up the topic feels like he, by talking about suicide, he caused his friend to go and commit suicide. And that feels to me, that felt to me like the takeaway of the episode, that it was in some way that character's fault. It's not, it's not how suicide works in the real world. Almost always, I don't, I have not heard of any other cases of a suicide just happening because, with someone who is having a, a relatively normal and uh, non-traumatic life. There is pretty much always a trigger or a cause, and the trigger would not be somebody talking about it. Um, when I lived in Japan, I... At one point had to, I was in a, not a leadership position, but I was kind of a go-to for people to talk to at one point in the area. And I had to sit down and have a chat with a, another foreigner friend who was working there who used to work as a social worker. And I had to talk about and, and ask, ask him if somebody is feeling down and potentially at the level of being suicidal, what's the best bet? And this person said that the training that he'd gotten and what is apparently recommended is that you tackle it head on. You don't shy away from it. You say, are you feeling like committing suicide? Do you have, you ask, do they have a plan? And by doing that, you can help to kind of confront them about it a bit. And it, it usually helps to prevent them from going through with it because it's a big step to reveal that and then go on with it. Um, and you've just got to be upfront about it. And that's where I learned that all suicide has a cause and it's not talking about suicide. Mm. Yeah, it's a bit challenging because 
uh, as you've said, they really want to get the media impacts across on this. Yes. And uh, what is a real thing is that uh, suicide is somewhat mimetic. Um, after a suicide happens, the the likelihood of the people uh, in that person's social circle or that knew them committing suicide actually does go up. Right. Because it's something that is just on people's minds after it happens. Right. And the, the more time you spend thinking about suicide, if you were someone who was already really going through it it's it's being pushed to the forefront of your mind in a way that it wouldn't otherwise right and i think like the series kind of does does better later in the show yep talking about that um especially when we get to the bullying episode yes where one boy is bullied into suicide and then his 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 former friend who like didn't stand up for him at the time finds himself becoming the new victim of it yes I, 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 those episodes are interesting and I think the commentary was okay, but I do feel like it was very heavy handed and that I felt like that kind of bullying that we saw and the boys that we saw doing the bullying weren't particularly realistic because it was just three assholes, not, you know, complex actual people with potentially traumatic backgrounds who are like lashing out. It was just three pure assholes. It worked. I just felt like it could have been a bit more interesting. Maybe show us a couple shots of, sounds awful, but show some of the trauma that they've had, which is why they're doing it now. It kind of treated it as like, there are just some people who are shit Mm. just because they want to be shit. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Anyway. See, I I don't know. I necessarily agree with that. Like if the the show had shown this boy being bullied into suicide and then it had taken an angle of, oh, but look at these these poor bullies and their circumstances like that would have also not really. Yes, I definitely understand that. I, I guess I guess instead my takeaway might be that, I don't know, it felt a bit too over the top, like the the bullying violence that was happening and it didn't feel realistic now if you were listening to this you haven't watched this show you might be thinking this sounds like a really depressing show there is comedy in this there is definitely some comedy in this (laughs) boy oh boy so uh, yeah fumika is travels around with this magic staff that we talked about Um, and aaron's rod is what they refer to it as which is like a biblical thing i I think it is is no follow-up on that (laughs) I think it is just a cool magic rod that they found on Wikipedia and went, yeah, let's chuck it in. Um, there's some really cool imagery around them. Like the they have this weird afterlife space where they go to charge the staffs. That was cool. And it's just a huge field of like hundreds of them underneath these purple storm clouds. I, I do have to ask or question, how long have Shigofumi been a thing? Because clearly there's a lot of them. And it feels like it's meant to be a thing that's been around for a while. Oh, yeah. You have this this character that's introduced at the very end who they say has been a, a, sh- oh, yes. a, a male carrier for thousands of years. Yes. Um, but it seems like only just now that people are starting to understand what Shigofumi is to the point that later on a character does end up kind of not pulling a prank but threatening people a character who is not related to our main characters but Mm. somebody who that it was the sister of the bullied boy who um died she ends up graffitiing the words shigofumi and doing a lot of stuff related to that 
to kind of threaten and intimidate the three boys who were the bullies. Yeah, she's delivering, like, creating and delivering fake Shigafumi. Yeah, and so, like, has this not ever happened before? I feel like after 2,000 years, we would have some kind of record of that and people would not be as shocked to see this woman and then hear, here's a Shigafumi and be like, what the fuck is that? Like, you know. Yeah, I wanted to come around on this because uh, Fumika, this male carrier, um, she's got a very sort of, like, cold, introverted personality. Uh, while she's very determined to do her job, she's quite uh, socially awkward and prefers to keep to herself. Uh, but she's been matched with this magical partner who is is very outgoing. Like, she's a, she's a staff who wants to turn into a human. Yes. Um, quite an interesting thing. Um, I did have a note here for episode three mm-hmm. already. Uh, the staff is a bit much with these reactions during intense moments. Like, someone's <laughs> revealed something kind of shocking, and she goes, Oh, my God! And I'm like, mm, I feel like this is a bit of a somber moment. I don't necessarily want a high-pitched girl screaming. She's She's got a bit of Kingdom Hearts Donald Duck energy. Oh, that's <laughs> it! You nailed it! Oh! <sighs> yeah. Uh, you you have the second male carry who shows up as well, um, Chiaki. <laughs> Yes, the drunkard. Oh, I've never felt so represented before in my life. Who is? She's a l- legitimate dead person. Yes, who died in a car accident, and uh, her staff that she has is like a very serious, straight laced, like male voiced one who who acts like I think it says that they are AI run. Oh, okay. It's kind of blurry on how much of them is magic and how much of them is technology. Yeah, but to some degree, they are technology. They do fun things where they have, like, a crystal ball in the middle of them and it'll show up with little icons when they're, like, listening to something or they have, like, a volume slider. Or, or there's, like, a clock shows up when they activate a certain ability. It's yeah. not a normal clock. It's got, like, multiple things on it. Very interesting. Um, yeah. They're, it's interesting stuff. It, and the, the staves allow the male carriers to, like, give, give them certain abilities. It can let them fly. It can let them phase out of existence. Um, like it's all, they're also just super powered cause they're dead. And apparently when you're dead, you get superpowers. again, very interesting oh, yeah, message they, to send. Oh yeah, they've got the angel wings. Yes. Yes. Um, which only really get used once in a comedic scene when they have to, again, deliver the letter to the cat and they have to chase the cat across the city and they both are terrible at it. <laughs> yeah. They, the, this is the episode we were alluding to before where, uh, uh, both of these male carriers, uh, have a letter to deliver to this cat. Uh, one of them is from the old man who owned the cat and one of them is from the old man's wife. Yes. And they're both the same thing ultimately, which is a key to get into their former house because the cat wants to go back to the apartment. Which is about to be demolished. Quite yes. interesting. Quite interesting. An interesting kind of metaphor. They have to stop like someone operating a wrecking ball machine. Again, she uses her phasing out ability, hurls this guy out of a wrecking ball and then somehow knows how to operate a wrecking ball enough to stop it. Interesting. Oh, she she doesn't stop it. She swings it around a bunch. <laughs> I think yeah. if you put me in a wrecking ball, I would be able to do that. I mm, I don't know. I I don't feel like I don't feel like I'd know enough to be able to stop doing it. I feel like I just move things around and just make it worse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Knock out the house and the house next to it. So I feel like we should talk about Fumika now. Yeah, so absolutely. We, we we've talked a bit about Fumika and the fact that like there are two of her, and the story is essentially. Um, when she was young, she lived with her father, and her father did not let her out, really, until getting into junior high school level. Uh, yeah, she's straight up like, I didn't see another person. <laughs> until junior high school. And during that time, 
her father, ever the um, eccentric creative, um, got his creative juices flowing by physically assaulting her by writing sharply on her body with glass fountain pens. Yeah, so Kira Meki as a character is is first introduced because um, Natsuka, the girl we talked about before, um, her older sister works in publishing, and they they publish Kira Meki, who is who is not written anything in some time, or is just so so specific about like what is an acceptable output for him that he basically just doesn't write anything. He is a hyper perfectionist. Yeah, and so she is sent around to his house, which is not on the street. It is, it is set back from it, and it is a giant glass, like, crooked pyramid. Yeah. Very interesting choice. Very interesting choice. <laughs> it, lives, it, re- it reminded me of, like, the, the Nightmare Before Christmas, um, <laughs> uh, the big swirl hill thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's designed like that, and it's completely made of glass. And is a, somehow a TARDIS, because the inside of it, even though it's all made of glass, the inside of it has, in, like, distinct rooms that you can't see from the outside, and has just, a like, there's a giant toy room and a super dark black room, which is full of fountain pens, and then- Glass a, fountain pens. He will not use any other kind. Of course, of course. <laughs> men of taste. And, uh, of course, a sunroom. Which would be like the only room that you would actually think would actually work in the house because the whole thing is covered in glass. Um, but, but somehow also seems to have certain patterns on it at some time. That was very interesting. Yeah, there's some cool trippy visual effects going on with this. Uh, a, lo- a lot of the show actually has some cool trippy visual effects going on. I, I was a f- uh, I thought it worked well a lot of the time. Yeah, I, I also like I did have a note in my notes um, that it's just the. The landscape shots that they have and the kind of, um, you know, aerial shots of the city and of the different locations they go to were all really nicely done. Miles better than last week's show, but like, you know, not a high bar to clear there, but honestly, like really quite nice. It's, it's a good reminder that anime could look good in 2008. Yes, apparently. Yes. It's good to know. Um, anyway, uh, so Fumika is living with her father and he is daily physically assaulting her. And at one point... She ends up developing a split personality. Yes, I I did not see the show going in this direction, but the, the character has yeah dissociative identity disorder. Uh, she has uh, both of them are called Fumika, although she refers to one as Fumi and one as Mika. I, I like that just artistically because mm. it keeps I don't know. It's just it feels right to do that. I like that symmetry to it. It's beautiful. Yeah. So uh, Fumi is the the version that goes into a coma afterwards. Uh, that this is this is why Fumika can be a postal carrier because it is Mika, her other personality that she has that it can't be rooted in the body, and so it's instead become a incorporeal ghost. I would also like to point out that uh, Fumika will notice that she got Fumi. Oh, Fumi is that same kanji for writings, and the ka is song or music. So she's like the written song. Yeah, or like a, a composition or something. Mm. Interesting. Like fumika itself, I don't think is an actual word you would use oh. in daily use, but the kanji together. Oof. It's got a bit of a dark angle to it, though, because that's obviously what her father has named her. And who he views was her as a writing tool. As his muse as well. Yeah, to bring out his inspiration. The guy writes a lot of poetry about how beautiful death is. Yeah. There is a moment when um, uh, he gets a letter. Uh, he gets a, f- uh, a Shigofumi from a fan 
And it was a fan who sent the Shigofumi because she was so moved by his writing that she killed herself. Yes. Uh, he then tries to light this letter on fire because he's like, this sucks. The writing in this letter is not good. <laughs> Definitely a mood. I also want to point out that the sister, who is the, the working for the publishing house, um, then decided to continue working with this man. Nah, dog. Bad move. Bad move. Look, she yeah, she makes some choices. Like right to the end of the series, everyone's like, "We got to drop this book." Is like a, a a child sex offender, and she's like, "No, no, we got to publish it." Uh, so yeah, um, she uh, Fumika develops uh, this second personality, mm. the one that is um, that endures and the one that protects, and then uh, one day gets it, it cannot stand being assaulted anymore. Goes to her dad's collection of guns. Beautiful guns. I mm. like it. Good, nice touch. Um, and shoots the men. Yes. Good job. And and it is a big conflict for like the two personalities where they they don't. Both of them are convinced that they are the one and, who who shot the father. And both feel that they need to atone for doing this. They mm. deserve some kind of punishment and must endure it. Yeah. Um, Holy shit! That is a bad take. <laughs> a really really bad take. Well, the show is also of that opinion, though, right? Yeah. But, like, the take that this person who was physically abused deserves punishment for retaliating. Ooh, no, the show doesn't really push back on that. It kind of goes with it for the whole time. Even at the end, because eventually um, Fumi does wake up um, and then goes on to sue her father, which... Yeah, great. Do that. You, yes, absolutely. But then views the intense media scrutiny and the um, threats, everything that comes with it, the social media backlash, mm. as her penance. No, she does not deserve any pe- to, to pay any penance. She is a victim here. But the show doesn't really highlight that, I don't think. I feel like that's a problem. Maybe I'm just viewing the show as a lot more nihilistic because it's it's just a show that says it definitely is a nihilistic show. Definitely, definitely. I just, I just, like it, it, it's it's a show that is interested in depicting what it is like for abuse survivors. I, I get that, and I, I honestly I think that it was it was pretty accurate in that. Like that was well shown. But I feel like we needed more of a refutation of and highlighting of this person is a victim. They should not feel ashamed and that they deserve punishment. I just, I don't feel there was enough of a pushback on that from friends and everyone else. They kind of just went, oh, this is an awkward time. Maybe you should stop rather than, you know, reassuring her and going, you don't deserve this. It, it does some interesting looping around because as we described, the very first uh, two episodes of the show are about this, this girl who has a history of um, her father in, involving her in child pornography and the like one of the first signs that this show is going to do interesting visual things is the way it chooses to depict that is like um it has this girl like sitting on a bed in this black void and the black void is filled with these cameras in the air that yes. are like the lenses are like zooming in and out yes and very it's, interesting it's a choice. very creepy uh, yeah. scene but uh, and you see it mirrored uh, later on when you know she's going through the media scrutiny after going public with the abuse, where people are constantly taking cell phone photos of her. Yes, and I I feel like I should highlight here. Um, in Japan, uh, all camera phones will make a shutter noise when you take a photo with it. By law, 
um, they were having, Jehan was having an issue with upskirt photos being taken. And so because of that, the government passed a law saying that all phones that are sold in Japan must make a shutter, shutter noise when a photo is taken, even when the phone is on dead silent. It must make that noise. Mm. Which then, you know, sh- sh- you would be hearing all of this. She wasn't just imagining all of those noises. Like, you would be hearing a loud shutter going on every single time a person went, oh, it's that girl. Yeah, you have the scene of her in the airport and <sighs> even just people, like, taking photos of, uh, you know, their their relatives at the airport. She, she's like, e- like, every shutter could be someone photographing me. And she, yeah... Has a real hard time with it. Yeah, like we have some really well represented trauma in this. It's mm. it's very interesting. Honestly, like I'm I'm not an expert by any means, but like this is a show that has come to the table and said we are going to do DID. We're going to do multiple personalities. That's a thing a lot of shows and movies do quite badly. Yes. <laughs> do you know? I don't. I should have looked this up beforehand, and I didn't. Do you know if DID can be can be a a result of trauma. Uh, it is mostly. A result it is most okay. I, that, yes. My my only question of the kind of accuracy and the effectiveness of the prayer was whether or not this could be a thing because I know that um, I read a more, uh, the Immortal Hulk at one point recently mm. and part of that explored Bruce Banner's past as a child and the fact that the Hulk was a was a separate personality that he developed to protect himself from an abusive father and. I, again, I didn't look it up at the time. I kind of just assumed that it was a thing. But after thinking about it more, I wasn't actually sure that... Because, again, it's a superhero comic book. Like, Yes. <laughs> I mean, maybe this is a thing that they've made up just to have a like a logical explanation for why there are so many different hulks. But, okay, good to know that. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, like, I do know people with DID, actually. Oh, okay. My, my um, brother has a friend who has a, a split personality oh. and it came about as childhood trauma. Okay. He's, he's like not very forthcoming about it in the way that uh, a lot of people that have this are, are actually very private about it. Yes, I Which could I think Fumika represents really well. Yes. But it's it's a thing he kind of has, uh, my brother's friend has to disclose to people because um, the, the personality split kind of happened in a really bad car crash when he was mm. little and the, the personality uh, on the other side is still very much like, a, a young child in a car crash. Oh dear. Okay. <laughs> wow. Wow. Like, it, look again. It's it's a show that wants to go there, and it clearly wants to have conversations about all this stuff. It does so with mixed success, but like, I can appreciate a- that it took the swing. Yeah, it definitely took the swing, and it did not shy away. Mm-hmm. And for that, it definitely deserves some props. Yeah. Um, look, we can step away and talk about some just production value stuff. Can we also talk briefly about the mum? Oh my gosh, <laughs> what a character! Just oh, shows up, goes, oh, my God, you're beautiful. Anyway, I'll pay for your living expenses. Peace out. And just leaves. Yeah, she's very blunt about not wanting to be a mother to Fumiko. Again, definitely a choice. Hmm. I appreciate it. Hmm. Hmm. Anyway, continue. <laughs> um, it's it's a good looking show for a lot of reasons. Like I've said, we have these these cool visual effects when they when there is something that would be too graphic to put on screen in its proper sense they are very good about creating a visual representation of it as well yep um they do some cool stuff with the the spirit world and the above speaking of visuals we have a beach episode yeah <laughs> but it's not really a beach episode so i'm i i'm gonna be frank i don't really like beach episodes they just strike me as just lurid usually um but this one was interesting mostly because it wasn't a beach episode it was a ryokan episode so 
hey, that's interesting, something different. I like it. Um, and <laughs> that really got me in that episode, actually, that they they gender separated it. But they also gender separated the the magic rods that they had. Yes. And so the guy who came with them had to share a room with the magic rod. Yes. Which slept next to him in a bed. And that's when we find out that the other mail carrier is an absolute drunkard waster. And I'm like, yeah, you go, girl. I'm all there. I'm with you. Um, but yeah, uh, I do really want to note that um, we didn't see the two post carriers in bikinis. I'm, I was honestly expecting it. But we didn't, and I think that was some fantastic restraint because these girls wouldn't do that. So, do, beautiful do you, job. Do you want to talk about uh, Chiaki for a bit? Yeah. Because she does get her own arc in this. Yes. Um, she she is the other postal worker who uh, also delivers Shigafumi. Shigafumis. Uh, Shigafumi. There, there, is, uh, there is no pluralization in Japanese. So of course. Y- you can put one on if you want, but like usually mm. if I do it, I probably won't. Mm. Yeah, uh, she is uh, someone who is more outgoing uh, and wants to be friends with Fumika, yes. who is otherwise quite an introverted person and just wants to focus on her job. Whereas Chiaki's like, no, once the job's over, we can like party. <laughs> Which makes sense if she's been doing this for a thousand years. Mm. You know, she's she knows that doing the job for a thousand years, you're dead. You're not going anywhere. Life's yeah. not getting any better. But, yeah, we establish she's, she's in reality about 80 years old. Yep. In that ballpark, look normally hundreds of years old, but still looks like a child is a bit of a red flag <laughs> as a trope. I'm going to be honest, reveal something about myself. I quite like it as a trope. Yeah. I think it's fun. Okay. It's also very lurid. Don't get me wrong. It's quite problematic, but just in like, especially when it's like not played for, we're going to see this cute girl in sexy poses or whatever and using it as a kind of excuse to leer at people like in this case i thought it was quite fun Mm. yeah her narrative arc is that she is uh, she's very jealous about fumika aging yes because none of the other dead people age and fumika only does because half of her is still alive yeah and uh you know chiaki feels like she has missed out on a lot of life um she she had a man who um she was in love with who she had uh, had reciprocal feelings there and she just had to miss out on that entire uh, life she was going to have with him because of that uh, car crash she was in. Yeah, rough stuff. Um, but yeah, uh, th- throughout the series, her arc is that she does manage to become friends with F- Fumika and the extended friends and lives it up. Lives in a hotel room and gets drunk every night. <laughs> Living the dream. This is, yeah, this is her happy ending, I guess. It's awesome. Yeah, I'm down for it. Again, as you said, she was married or engaged to marry that dude. And while they were sitting in the car and while they were doing their cute stuff as a couple, I was just sitting there thinking, yeah, but you look like you're 12. And that guy looks like he's 25, 30. I I did also think that because even by anime standards, I did feel like there was a weird bit of an age discrepancy going on there. Yeah, very I wasn't sure what to make of that. Yeah, I like they made her... In the flashbacks, they made her tall enough to seem like, yeah, okay, like you're not you're not a twelve year old. But then when you see her in her modern day regalia, she does she is short and does to me at least look like not yet an adult. Yeah, they, they show so, you the car crash flashback before they tell you any of this, and I was like, oh, she died in a car crash with her dad. With her dad, <laughs> that's what I thought. We then we also have the very interesting talk between 
Fumika and Chieki, her her like jealousy of not grow, like getting older is kind of brought up initially as a joke, like comedy moment when uh, they're both talking about the fact that Chieki is quite flat chested and will never develop a chest. And in my mind, that's not something that adults tend to joke about like that. That's more like a teenagery, young teenagery thing. Yeah. And yeah, that's why I'm thinking younger. But apparently. Old enough to marry. That, that was a real good Gotham moment from Fumika, though. <laughs> that really was. Oh. <laughs> because Chiaki's, like, giving her shit. And she's like, I'm going to grow up. You're not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get tits. Suck it. <laughs> if I may have a brief aside, I would like to talk about, I think, what might have been my favorite episode, just because of the feelings in it. We get a relatively standalone episode of a man who we found out we find out halfway through the episode um, has cancer, has been diagnosed with cancer. Yeah. And he spends his day taking the daughter of one of his um, mother's like friends out for the day because he's at home. He quit his job because of having cancer and he's at home listlessly doing not much. And he takes the daughter out to the arcade and goes to see a movie with her. Yeah. And importantly, he hasn't told anyone about his diagnosis. Yes. He's, um, he's just quit his job out of nowhere. So everyone is very <laughs> confused. Uh, and... It was really just quite depressing. You know, he gets, as he's leaving the um, shopping center with with the girl, um, he gets beaten up by a bunch of teenage punks. And then when saved by security, the security then arrest him and call the police because they think he's kidnapping the child, which was just, it was really depressing. But, and then at the end of the episode, um, they're driving home, car breaks down and... He has to, you know, walk down the highway to try and find a phone to call for for um uh, a tow truck and whatnot. And the girl comes along with him, chases after him, and like kind of convinces him that life is, you know, worth something. And then he gets hit by a car, a truck. Um, and, yes, but, they they give him a final hero moment where he pushes her out of the way of this truck. Yes, and. I just, I found it was very depressing. Don't get me wrong. Like I did cry a bit, but I found it kind of sweet as well. And I feel like whilst the whole series is good, that was my favorite episode just because I, I feel like it was just really well done. Yeah. The the guy in question like works as an illustrator at a games company and uh, suffers some isolation from his family because they don't consider it a worthwhile thing to be doing. Uh, and the reason he connects with this little girl is because she's really into this knockoff Animal Crossing <laughs> that's in the show, which he was part of making. Ah, oh, I missed that. I didn't pick up on that. That yeah. makes it even oh, even more beautiful. Mm. And his final Shigafumi to her is just like a, a cartoon drawing that he drew of her that looks really good. And she's got like the little toy dog in it. And she, there was a beautiful moment of she gets the Shigafumi, she looks at it, and then she asks Fumika, like, oh, is he gone? Is he dead? And Fumika says, yeah, he is. And she turns off the game and goes, oh, okay. And just kind of, you know, you can tell she's feeling something, but she just kind of accepts it and moves on. And I feel like the sim- the symbology of her, cl- like, turning the game off really hit me. I don't know why exactly, but yeah. it felt powerful. The, the, the girl is still at an age where she's struggling to grapple with death as an idea. Yeah. Like, they take her to the funeral and they show her the corpse. And she <laughs> she touches the corpse and goes, come on, wake up. What are you doing? And you can see the mum kind of like, don't ble- <laughs> just mm. don't do that. We don't do that. And it felt real. 
Mm. Yeah. So it is interesting that the show, uh, having dealt with people at the end of their life for so much of it, does actually want to wheel it back yeah. and sort of look at that first moment of understanding death yes. in your life. Got to say, it would I would have loved if I had a cute anime girl come up and give me a letter when <laughs> I was dealing <laughs> with my first major death because, you know, it would have been nice, I think. <laughs> The opening song. The opening song. I swear I feel like I've heard this song before somewhere. I don't know if it's because I've heard the, the song or if I've just heard another song by the artist you, that is similar. You would have, you would have heard similar. Um, uh, Alley Project is okay. the artist that does this. They're sort of a, a gothic, they're prog rock sort of group. Okay. They, they make like neoclassical sounding uh, rock pop music. Yeah, okay. Okay. As you can uh, tell, they, they do a lot of, like, gothic-sounding stuff. Uh, the band themselves are known for having a very, like, goth leader style. Ah, okay. Cool, cool. And they they do a lot of anime music around this time. Uh, stuff like Princess Resurrection and Rosen Maiden. Ah, okay. They're, they're kind of, like, the go-tos for anything gothic that you are working on. Right. Okay. Cool. Which is why they get roped into this here as well. Yeah, I mean, like, they found a niche and it's working. Yeah, I, I really like the opening song. Yeah, it was really good. Mm. It was it was interesting. It was like more interesting than I remember other stuff at the time being. Mm. Definitely more interesting than last week. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's not the most flashy opening in the world. No, but it, it it's like it's suitable. It's functional. Mm. I, bold choice at the... Oh, I don't know if it was a bold choice or not, but first episode doesn't give us an opening at all. I was very surprised. No, that's true. It only comes in later. Music, music is good across the board. I, I remember I talked about the music in the last one, so I wanted to come back around on it this time because they done a really consistent job of making all the music sound like it belongs to this show. Yes. A couple of themes get re- not recycled, but like a, th- a couple of motifs carry over through a number of different songs. Mm. There's a like a discordant piano melody that goes through a couple of different songs in a few different ways. Really yeah. nice touch. And, and very consistent about instrumentation. Yes. They're like, we're doing some uh, spooky uh, piano that's been recorded in a very... Um, empty sort of way yep there's a lot of space in the recording around it yes um there's some like these very clean guitar work yes zero distortion mm-hmm. and noodling away and uh yeah there's sort of this weird drone stuff underneath and then when it's like particularly you know dramatic or heartfelt moments it'll bring in these violins and sort of uh, fill in the space the really dramatic violins yeah <laughs> i'm a sucker for some dramatic violins Oof. Yeah, it worked great. Like it's it stood out to me watching this, going, "Oh, like I've I'm I went and looked a bunch of the songs up afterwards." The um the discordant piano reminded me of one of the tracks in Evangelion. There was an Evang- there was a track in Evangelion with a, again a really like empty, slightly discordant piano, and I'm just I'm fun fact about me, I'm a absolute Evangelion stan. I just mm. can't get enough of it, and so that really you know hit me. Yeah. Oh, there was a great moment where um, in episode three, when we've got our three uh, teenage friends talking about suicide, like the, the, the main focus character of that episode goes home and uh, he plays a game that looks like it's played with a TV remote. <laughs> it's, it's a Wii. It's, it was not a he's Wii. He's playing it on the Wii. It was yeah. not a Wii. Yeah, he's, he's moving it. He's moving, he's his moving wrist. it around and he's pressing the buttons. <laughs> The Wii doesn't tend to do that. You don't, <laughs> don't tend to do both at the same time. Either way, my note was just, what the fuck game is this played with a TV remote? 
No, you see the Wii come back at the very end after she's woken up from her coma and she gets oh. invited over to Natsuka's house we, we and they actually- teach her how to play Wii tennis. Yeah, yeah, that one was a Wii, but I, like, I don't think he was playing a Wii. He could have been. He could have been. I just, it felt really, really awkward. <laughs> this show's commitment to showing off-brand video games. <laughs> it's very funny. Um, one thing we could talk about very briefly is getting back into like the representation of the media within this and how awful it can be and how social media can be. Um, again, I think because of my uh, experiences in a Japanese high school system, the reaction of the school hit home quite well. The idea that um, you know this big tragedy happens and the first port of call is not to reassure everyone. It is to say, nobody say anything to the media because that'll make us look bad. So shut your mouths. Don't do anything wrong. Yep. And it happens more than once. And I was just sitting there like, oh, yeah, Japanese institutions coming in for the win again. Good job. Yeah, especially after yeah, the dad shows up with a shotgun and he's like threatening these kids going, my, you know, my son couldn't have just killed himself for no reason. One of you was bullying him. Yeah. After that, they're like, Let's 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 not talk about this with anyone. <laughs> let's not offer counseling. Let's not offer anything like that. Let's just pretend it does not exist. Great job. That being said, I don't know. It's great to feed a bunch of that stuff to the media. <laughs> Absolutely not. But I don't know. It was it was the fact that, you know, the fir- the the angle of attack was not are we okay? Mm. Do we need help? All right, let's not talk about this. It was, shut the fuck up. Don't say anything. They're going to talk to you. Ignore them. It's all your fault. And I was like, oh, damn. Okay. Yikes. Uh, coming out of the show, would you recommend it? Absolutely. I I, I would be sure to, with, <laughs> yeah, that conditionally, recommend- I think. Conditionally. with that recommendation, give a caveat that if you're not in a very good headspace, do not watch this. It's <laughs> not going to put you in a better one. Um, but yeah, if, if you're in an okay moment in life, absolutely. If you feel like you need to cry for a bit, absolutely. I think it's really interesting for what it is as this creative project coming out of these four producer guys who otherwise are not doing stuff like this. Yep. And I think we could also point out the fact that it is four guys working together and it is not a tonal mess and it is not a messaging mess. Like it does feel consistent and that's kind of surprising just for having four creators all kind of working together on it. Yeah, it's tonal, consistent, and it's it's like thematically ambitious. Like they've sat down like these are the themes we want to explore. Definitely, definitely. Uh, Which for the people that wrote a lot of the light novels that they're adapting – a lot of those people would not have been sitting down and going, "What's what are the themes of... Uh- <laughs> they would be sitting down and going, oh, cool, girls, but they shoot people. Yay. <laughs> not interrogating any of the morals of that, but these guys did, and I yeah, really appreciate it. interesting to see what they do given this, this level of free reign. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Endless 08. I've been Duffo. And I've been BJ. You can find all our stuff at endless08.com and on our social media. If you know a real freak, tell them about the show. We'll see you next time.